Welcome to Sonic's Flight, the podcast devoted to all things Sonics. Sonic's Flight is a monthly podcast discussing current events, news, and topics of interest to the Sonics community. We aim to entertain and educate builders and pilots of Sonics aircraft designs, inspiring them to complete and operate their aircraft safely and efficiently. Welcome to Sonic's Flight, the monthly show where we talk all things Sonics. This is episode number 14, Brakes. This episode will discuss the various braking options for your Sonics, including Sonic's standard drum brakes, their hydraulic brakes as an option, and several other custom brake setups that builders have used. So, once again, we've got the normal crew around the mic here, uh, Gary Motley and John Gillis. Uh, you guys all know these these characters. Uh, Gary is builder and pilot of Hound Dog. He's a longtime pilot, former CFI, has thousands of hours of GA flying, and over 600 hours on his Aero V Sonics. Gary, I, uh, I hear it's kind of cold in Colorado. What's going on? Well, the Motley crew is here and alive. It's been a little chilly. It's been like the mid-30s lately. Nothing real drastic. It was a little overcast, light drizzle, few few uh, dry snowflakes, but nothing significant at the moment. Just kind of gloomy. Not much flying time. I've got about four or five hours this month. That's about all I'm getting in. Well, you're doing better than me. I'm, I'm up to about 1.5 this month. And that's probably about the, the end of it for me. So you're yeah. getting in uh, more opportunities than I am. Yeah, you're really slacking off this month. I am. I'm going to have to do something about that. <laughs> and John Gillis, builder of YX116. John is based out of Colorado as well. And John is best known for his extensive custom modifications. John, uh, how about you? What are you up to? Oh, I'm just uh, hunkered down in 17 degrees in my house. Getting colder. Well, that's that uh, that that plane that that rolls right up to your back door, you know, where you don't have nothing between you and what Montana, something like that. Yeah, we're on uh, the very uh, the brink of uh, eastern or western Kansas, I guess. Yeah, that's uh, that wind gets going, and uh, yeah, that gets a little brutal. So no flying for me this month so far. Uh, planes down for the winter maintenance cycle. Um, when I can get out in the hangar when it's uh, warm enough. I uh, hope to get up in the next weekend or so. All right, good deal. And then back with us again is uh, Mike Farley. Mike was a guest on our Turbo episode. He's the builder and pilot of YX-56. He's based in central Ohio and is a professional pilot flying Hawker Biz Jets. Uh, Mike is also currently serving as the president of the Sonics Builders and Pilots Foundation. Mike, uh, what are you up to? I am sitting over in Washington, D.C. this evening. It's a fairly warm but windy kind of day, and just sitting here on a business trip, I'll head back to Columbus on Thursday afternoon. So thanks for having me. Yeah, well, uh, I guess the first question is, um, are, are you flying under under normally aspirated yet, or are you still working on that? I am running under normally aspirated. Um, actually ran into a couple of interesting little problems with, it uh, turns out, my MGL RDAC uh, was uh, not working properly. So uh, I've been talking with Matt out in LA and ended up purchasing a newer style RDAC and I've grafted that on and I'm kind of doing some final tuning. I haven't flown it yet, but kind of getting ready. So there's uh, hopefully light at the end of the tunnel, be flying here shortly and uh, be ready for the spring. At least that's my hope. Okay. 
Well, good. And for those of you who uh, who missed the Turbo episode, uh, Mike was one of those that had uh, a few issues with the Turbo, helped Sonics kind of pin down exactly what was going on. And then while Sonics has been working through this, Mike decided to uh, pull the Turbo off and convert it back over to a normally aspirated. Um, I guess what's your long-term plan on that? You know, it's to be determined. I, I uh, Now that everything's kind of reverted back to non-Turbo with uh, – with kind of the discussion we had on that podcast, with me flying most of the time just by myself in the local area, um, I'm, I'm not sure how much I'm going to be in a rush to put the turbo back on, but I have all the parts. It's an option, and I'm sure at some point I will. Um, I've just I've had the plane down long enough. I'd kind of like to fly it for a while first, but that might be a project to do either you know after Oshkosh or next winter sometime. Think about putting that back on. I, uh, had I known now, I just would have left it on in the first place because I was thinking this would be a quick and easy retrofit that's become kind of a pain. So it's my own fault, um, not by fault of the design or the uh, the, the product. Uh, so at some point, I'll definitely put the turbo back on and, and keep flying it that way. Uh, like I said, I have all the parts, the propeller, everything else will be ready to go. So for now, kind of fly it non-turbo. In fact, kind of my goal is going to be maybe to uh, – uh, get some performance numbers, non-turbo and then turbo using the same airframes to see exactly what kind of benefit people would have. So stay tuned on that. That's kind of a long-term project I have in mind. Well, I think that's a good plan. Um, there comes a time where you just got to wrap it up and get it out of the shop and get it flying. So uh, I think uh, <laughs> get right to it and get some get some experience in. And then for those people who don't listen to this, you can tell everybody that you did it on purpose. No, 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 it was not an accident. This was carefully calculated. Exactly, that's right. I made that effort for everybody, so they can <laughs> see exactly what they, uh, they, they're they going to buy. All right, good deal. <laughs> All right, well, again, uh, Mike, thanks for joining us. Um, always good to catch up with you. And uh, I know... Um, Flying uh, biz jets is uh, super sexy and all that, but I know that flying your Sonics is where you really want to be, right? I would take the Sonics any day of the week. It's a heck of a <laughs> lot more fun, and the view's a lot better, and uh, that 330 gallons an hour the first hour is a little bit different than the Sonics. So, yeah, I'll, I'll take my YX any day. Yeah, good deal. All right, well, let's uh, let's jump right into uh, – we got a news topic. Uh, John, I'm going to kick it over to you. This is the uh, – the Jabiru Generation 4 engines. The uh, Jabiru Australia just released a bunch of details about it. So, John, why don't you run us through what they've told us so far? Well, they haven't told us a whole lot, um, except uh, it you know, it was all rumored that it was going to be a 3310 and a 2210, um, but now that it's actually been officially announced, it's a uh, Gen 4 is what they're calling it, 3300 and 2200. Yeah, I, I think um, before before we go on, I think that the the 3310 and the 2210 was the version that was going to make extensive use of cast parts. And the way I understand it, they're not making cast cases and all that. They're still using the machine cases, and I think that's why they call it a Gen 4 rather than a 3310. Uh, visually, from the pictures that they've shown, um, the case itself looks very – actually identical to the original case – but the barrels and the heads are definitely different. Um, they're saying now that the the head and the barrel uh, screw together like a Lycoming. I'm not familiar with the Lycoming, so I guess that's that's uh, the way those work. And you don't see through bolts on the on the case. Um, they're actually uh, fished through the head and the barrel, and then to the other side 
and uh, they clamp down the case from both sides of the top of the heads. So that's kind of an unusual feature too. It also looks like the um, the barrels are are aluminum that are lined with uh, Nicosil cylinders, and instead of a, a solid uh, steel uh, barrel that the original Jabiru's had. The other interesting thing is they are because Camet went defunct. Camet was the actual maker of all the custom stuff for the Jabiru's. Um, they are bringing and are building their own machine shop in-house to do the, the machining of the cases and the heads and barrels. So that, that's what they're, they're talking about right now is doing all that, uh, getting the, the machinery installed and, and up and running. So they're the not other, actually producing it yet. Yeah. The other thing I thought was really interesting was um, they, they worked on the flywheel. So Camet had long maintained that that the mass of the flywheel was contributing to the th- the, uh, the the cap screws breaking that would hold the flywheel to the crank, uh, and then their solution was to take mass out of the flywheel with a lighter weight flywheel, and then take the alternator out of the flywheel and use a belt driven alternator. So although they still retain the the same permanent magnet alternator, they've kind of gone that direction by lightening up and changing this, the spider attachment to try to prevent those cap screws from breaking. The way it is right now, that's a regular maintenance item. Every few hundred hours, you got to get in there and you got to check them or replace them. And they're saying that in the future, that issue has been put to rest and you're no longer going to have to do any sort of preventive maintenance on the flywheel screws. They also announced that the price is, is not going up on the engines. Um, they said that the uh, the 3300 is going to be $20,900 uh Australian. And so I ran that through my Google converter and it looks like about 15,500. Um and that's with the tax, the um the Australian value added tax. That's a good price. I mean, that's what Camets were selling over here for and uh that's cheaper than when I bought mine a few years ago. That's a lot cheaper. Yeah, I bought mine used with 35 hours on it, and it was uh, I paid like 12,000 for it. That was almost. I thought when I was initially ago. looking at them, they were like 19,000 dollars. That's what I paid four years ago. Yeah, that's mostly the so. Exchange and that, rate. that that's really sensitive to the uh, the exchange rate. Right now, the exchange rate's really beneficial for us. So we'll see what happens with with you know the economies of both countries and and trade policies and all that. If that affects uh, the import of these things. Well, I think it looks very promising. It answers one of the big questions, which is, is Jabiru going to be able to recover from the loss of their manufacturing partner? And it sounds like they've made a commitment and an investment in machinery to bring that manufacturing in-house. And that's the biggest thing. We all want to keep our Jabiru's flying. And uh, now that they can make parts in-house again, I think that's going to happen. And Pete from Jabiru USA did chime in uh, that the Gen 1 through 3 parts are still available um, he didn't quite explain if they're still uh, like did they did they outsource it to China or something to make those parts, or if there's just enough stock to uh, support those engines for the foreseeable future. Hey, what do you think of all that extra fin area on the barrels and the and the cylinder heads? Uh, you know, I, I think the the Jabbers always had kind of a bad reputation, even, especially in the Sonics, of having a, a tr- tough time cooling them. But I think uh, us experimenters have kind of figured that out, and I haven't had any problems with it. Um, so, yeah, it looks good. It looks a lot like the uh, the UL Power 
uh, engines with their big fins. Um, so I, I can't see how it could be any problem. It's going to be good for other designs, you know, that are, are a little slower and don't quite have the same uh, cooling efficiency at the high speed. So your Zeniths and Titans and stuff like that. I know one guy that has one up here on a, with a Pete and Paul, and he had all kinds of cooling problems and ended up pulling the engine off and putting a Corvair on. All right. Well, I guess uh, we won't really know until we get a few in customer hands, but it'll be interesting to watch. I, the other piece is, is what does their delivery schedule look like? If I order one today, when can I expect to get it? I, I don't know that we have that clarity yet. All right. Well, let's uh, move on into our, uh, our main topic. Uh, we're going to be doing uh, a comprehensive look at brakes for your Sonics project. Uh, on the surface, it seems like a pretty simple topic. Like, why are, why are we going into any kind of depth on brakes? But it's really not. There, there are a lot of considerations that, that as a builder, you want to think about. Um, things like what's your mission and what's your budget. Um, and then uh, there are plenty of options out there. Some that are, are, are easy to implement from Sonics and others that require a little more custom touch. So we're going to run down through these. So I, I think that this is one of those things that if you if you sit around the campfire at Oshkosh or you're at a hangar flying session, that's one of those custom touches that always comes up. Well, what should I do for brakes? What kind of brakes are you running? Um, you know, every builder is kind of thinking ahead to that. And uh, I think that maybe we're just going to go ahead and, and just get the elephant in the room out. And that is, why is everybody talking about upgrading their brakes? Well, that's as you guys all know, the standard cable brakes uh, are a little bit unusual in light aircraft world. You know, a lot of a lot of airplanes don't have cable actuated brakes, and uh, I think that that alone kind of puts people off from the stock brakes. Now we can debate whether they're effective or not. Uh, we can clearly find examples of cable brakes that are working properly, and then other ones that are are not working properly. But uh, I think that there's a, a big draw and a big desire, if for nothing else, just just to go in an upgraded fashion. So, what do you guys think? Well, I, I thought there were several reasons to upgrade from the mechanical brakes. One was kind of like self-respect, because as I was, in my particular case, as I would start to apply the brakes, you start to get some squealing, and then you get these wild gyration pulsations, uh, almost as if you're doing a kangaroo hop you know, d- down the taxiway at times. So that was one reason for me. My secondary and more power, more or more practical reason for doing it is I wasn't ever really able to get uh, enough of a of a bite or grip to them uh, to do close to a full power run up. Uh, they would just kind of just keep con- continue to creep along for me. So for me, it was just a matter of uh, uh, having a smoother application, a stronger application, and certainly a much quieter application to go from the uh, the cable actuated to the hydraulic brakes. Yeah, Gary, I think kind of what you're hitting on is a good point. It's probably going to be easier to get good, consistent results if you go with an upgraded package. If you stay with the cable actuated, all the little variables are going to be much more important. How did you set it up? Are there slight manufacturing tolerance details of your particular brakes that are going to frustrate you, like are they out around and things like that? You can make the stock brakes work, but it's going to be a whole lot easier if you go with a with an upgraded package, the quality and all that, well, you're getting you're getting a lot for that upgrade dollar that you're spending. I think that's a a really valid point. Yeah, certainly the mechanicals will work. There was no doubt about that. I did use them for a while. Um, you know, it's like the difference in everything else. I mean, you can you can you can drive a, a Ford Escort. You could drive a Ferrari. They both do the same thing. But 
you know, sometimes there's a little bit more class and finesse in one versus the other. Okay. Well, before we uh, run through the stock breaks, Mike, what are your thoughts? Why why might a builder consider one break over another? Well, I think Gary, I, I agree with Gary. There's a lot of uh, a lot to be said about if you if you follow me. There's a uh, a general aviation standard, if you will. So for all of us who have trained in Pipers and Cessnas and Grumman's, whatever the case may be, um, you want to try to to mimic that as much as possible. And the mechanical brakes, you know, different options, different versions, they certainly work fine. But, you know, you get into pulsing, you get into squeaking, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Uh, some of the, you know, drawbacks are a little bit different than what you're going to find on a Cessna 172 or a Warrior. And I think, you know, there's a, a comfort level and a familiarity with, uh, you know, number one, just, you know, disc brakes or hydraulic brakes, which is what you're going to find in pretty much the entire general aviation fleet and uh there's just a comfort familiarity with that um i know on my airplane i i've actually gone through several different iterations i started out with the old stamped drums and then upgraded to the machine drums and then once the hydraulic system uh, was available uh, upgraded to that as well and you know each one is uh, certainly usable, certainly functional, certainly gets the job done. But you know, in terms of civility, comfort, and just uh, practicality, as well as effectiveness, it seems like each one is a, a positive step up, if you will. Uh, and uh, you know, I, I certainly have no plans on going back. I like the hydraulic setup. Well, to build on what Mike was saying uh, on the familiarity thing, I wanted tow brakes from the beginning, and so the cable operated was kind of out. I didn't see how I could uh, figure out how to how to wire those, so that kind of pushed me right away to a hydraulic brake solution if I wanted to have tow brakes. Yeah, and there's there's a definitely builders out there that they have a, a specific configuration in mind, or they've got a mission, and their mission is driving a configuration. And you're right, uh, for some of those missions, the cable might not be there. I remember way back when when Sonics was very resistant to developing hydraulic brakes. I think the thing that, that put them over it was when they developed their Amphib because they couldn't route all those brake cables down to the, the Amphib wheels, and so they had to go with hydraulic brakes. And uh, I, I think that was kind of the turning point in them putting the engineering time into releasing a package for all of us. Okay, well, just a, a couple of considerations that we're going to touch on here. Um, first off, the, the type of brake that you want to use, uh, tied, again, to your desires and missions. Cost is a consideration. The effectiveness of the brakes or your stopping power, ease of installation, we're definitely going to get on that, uh, method of activation, like like what you talked about, John, we talked about uh, hand levers or toe brakes or all that, serviceability, and then what I'm going to call bang for the buck. Uh, there are ones out there that I think are better in the bang for the buck category. Let's start off with um, running through all the options kind of as we see it. So we already hinted on this. The uh, the first option is the standard Sonics mechanical brakes, and I'm going to just lump those into one, whether you go with the stamp drums or the machine drums. Um, the next option is the Sonics hydraulic brake option, and then the, the third option is collectively all those other third-party vendors, Tracy O'Brien, Great Plains, uh, Matt Coral Grover, you know, the, all those guys. So let, let's break this down, starting with stock. So... Gary, why don't you kick this off? Why don't you just quickly hit what you think the pros and cons of the stock are? And then, Mike, I kind of want to hear your summary as well. Well, I think the original design of Sonics, you know, the whole philosophy, it's its simplicity and cost and, and effectiveness for what you're, what you're spending. 
uh, there's no doubt the mechanical brakes accomplish that goal. You know, again, I, I, I kind of progressed like Mike did. You know, you get your kit, you had the stamp ones in there. I did order the the original uh, machine drums uh, initially as well, so I didn't really spend much time with the stamp, and I went for the machine drums and installed those. But still had basically the same kind of issues with it. So uh, when when the hydraulics were offered, I think I was one of the first ones to you know put down my bucks for it. But you know, if I were talking to people now, or these people are listening to the podcast and they're starting to anticipate ordering their kits, you know, here's the time to really uh, contemplate and what to do. I think you can certainly save a lot of time and, and certainly some money and aggravation if you just go ahead and, and, you know, take the plunge if you're going to do the hydraulics and just get it done with, yeah. whether it's the Sonics or the aftermarkets. Right. And then, uh, you know, we talk about the stamp drum and the machine drum. Just for people that may not be familiar with that, what, describe that. What are we talking about? Well, the stamp drum is, is just simply like it sounds. Uh, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a circular drum that's been just basically pressed. Uh, being pressed, you can get some variances in thickness in the metals. Uh, slight amount of outer round uh, characteristics can be, can be developed as well. Um, when you start going to the machine drums, then basically it starts, as I understand, with a billet piece of aluminum. And like everything else with being CNC machined down, it keeps getting cut down, cut down, cut down, cut down. And we know the machine uh, CNC machines can get down to very precise levels, and so the the tolerance is probably from batch to batch are much closer than the stamp drums. Yeah, and that's the big advantage. Um, they don't fade like the the thinner uh, stamped drums do, and they don't they don't have as much variation and and out of round, and so you don't you don't get as much of that pulsating potentially, because uh, some of the stamp drums um, can be fairly out of out. And I know some people who have had great luck with them, and I know some that have thrown them in lathes and tried to chew them up a little bit. But the machine ones are just going to be better right out of the box, guaranteed. And they did have some finning uh, machined into the, the, the machine drums as well. Uh, I did hear reports of some people talk about a lot of brake fade. In other words, as they're doing re, you know, repeated touch-and-goes or, or hard braking, that uh, the brake effectiveness would start to fade as the brakes heated up. I can't personally say... I experienced that. I'm not usually a big heavy brake user to begin with, so but that was some of the issues I heard as well. Well, that's because you normally set down in the first thousand feet, and then you can coast to a stop in the next eight thousand feet. No, I actually set down in the first hundred feet. You know better than that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, um, Mike. Uh, what, were, what were your impressions of the pros and cons on the the standard brakes? Yeah, I wouldn't tell people right offhand to purposely avoid the mechanical brakes. In fact, there's certain advantages. I, I should have done a better job weighing mine, but I would have to think that the mechanical system is probably the lighter option. So if you're a, a builder who's, you know, obsessed with uh, saving every ounce of weight possible, um, they certainly work fine. Um, I started off flying my YX initially with the stamped drums, and they, they get the job done, but they're certainly rudimentary at best. I would certainly say the machine drums are a, a, a nice upgrade and make it a very useful and serviceable application. They both work fine, uh, and, and I'm kind of like Gary. You know, I'm not doing maximum braking efforts on every landing. In fact, for me, in order for I for me to consider the brakes to be effective, I want them to hold for me to do an engine run up and then you know offer some type of you know light to moderate braking action on landing or for taxi. So. Uh, while it's nice to have a, a brake set up that could potentially hold you still on a full throttle run-up, uh, for, for me, it's not a failure if they don't. Uh, so the machine drums work just fine. Uh, I flew with them for a long time. 
the only real uh, issues that I had, I, they're not issues, it's just kind of things to notice, is I was never able to really get the brake shoes uh, to be perfectly true with the drums. So just like you guys, you, know, you come in, you land, and when you apply the brake, uh, you would get a little bit of a light pulsing, maybe a light wobble. Not a big deal, just noticeable. And then certainly over time as you're using the brakes and the, the uh, shoes start to wear a little bit, you'll start to get some of the squeaking as well. Um, you know, B-17s and B-25s do it, so, you know, it's kind of like having a little mini warbird. Um, but the hydraulic setup, when, when I switched over to the hydraulic setup, I kind of did what John did. I took the Sonex, uh, rotors that bolt to the wheel and then added the, uh, the red adenized calipers and then I created my own pedals. Uh, I stubbed the stock Sonex tail wheel. It's a non-breakaway tail wheel, so I don't, you know, have a, a direct steering like John does. But for, you know, for crosswind control primarily, I did want to go with the independent toe brakes. And they work. Uh, they're much more civil. You lose all that pulsing. You don't have that anymore. Uh, I wouldn't call them much more powerful than the machined drums, but for what I need, again, they, they certainly do just fine. So the, 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 the ones that are certainly more Cessna-like are the hydraulic ones, and that would be the ones that I would recommend people go with. But I wouldn't, you know, shy people away from the machine drums. They certainly do the job just fine. Well, and we talked about bang for the buck up front, and this is definitely an area that, um, you know, $200 for a brake upgrade, uh, I think uh, that's $200 well spent. If you do nothing else, I would encourage anybody just to, to spend the 200 for the machine drums, and you're going to be probably a lot happier with that. Um, there are a few other tips that you can do that um, are going to set your your cable-actuated brakes up a little bit better. Some of them are just nice things. Others um, are, are going to get better stopping power. Uh, the instructions that come with the brakes they detail how you open up the brake and, and round the cam. I think everybody does that, but how you round that is important. If you really round it, I mean, like really, really round that corner off, um, it's going to take a lot of movement of the handle in order to start getting some some braking effectiveness. So I think you want to you want to knock the heavy edge off, but you don't want to go crazy and, and put a big radius on it. And I think maybe some people misunderstand the purpose behind that and and put too big of a radius. Uh, alignment is important. Um, if your drum is not aligned properly to your wheel, uh, it's going to wobble on the wheel as the wheel rotates, and that's going to cause pulsating. You know, there's just no way to accomplish that. So if you if you get it mounted and, uh, you know, you chuck it up on the axle and kind of rotate and you feel some grabbing and sticking, that could be something you need to do. Go back and maybe loosen the bolts holding the drum to the wheel halves and try and uh, recenter it so that it is centered and it's going to give you the, the truest running. And then your cable tension, you're going to want to carefully adjust your cable tension. Your, your routing is going to have to be good. you got to get the cable kind of settled into into its final alignment. And then you want to adjust it so that it's tight initially, and that way after things kind of loosen up and settle into their final position, that when that stretches a little bit, now you're back into kind of a comfortable, not very much drag on, on the, the brakes themselves. If you set it up where there's very little drag initially, by the time it all kind of settles in, you're, you're going to have to pull the handle quite a lot to start getting that. Uh, so I think, um, you know, that's something that you can uh, you can kind of adjust. If you don't quite get it right the first time, you, you can get it right uh, by just adjusting the cable. Uh, we talked about, in a previous podcast, we talked about the trick of, of dressing your cable end. And so I want to just hit that again real quick. Gary, uh, 
describe that technique for for um, dressing up the cable, the the cut cable end on that. Sure, I want to give credit due. I ran across this by uh, Brian Carpenter had posted a video onto the EA websites on their home builder help uh, videos. And what he does is he takes a cable um, and chucks one end of it into a like a cordless drill, for example. Uh, put the other end uh, into something like a vise to steady it. Take uh, like a plumber's uh, blow touch, one of the you know the little propane cylinder styles. Uh, and really heat up the area that you want to cut until it's like a cherry red. And as you're doing that, then you start to slowly rotate the drill. And what it does is it pinches off all those multiple strands at the same time as it breaks it free. It leaves a slick end. I was really impressed with it when I started using that. And I've used that uh, not only when I had the mechanical brakes, but I also used it, for example, on the cables to my throttle. Uh, so it made it much easier to be able to take that throttle cable in and out and to readjust things. As you know, if you just try to take a chisel or you try to use a, uh, a Dremel tool and, and hack through those multi-strand wires, they just frizz up just like static electricity, and then you're just kind of like screwed. Uh, so it's an excellent little tip. Go to the EA uh, video channel and uh, and see if you can locate that. I think you'll be pleased with it. Now, that's pretty tight down there at the wheel, so you have to measure your cable length first and then trim it and fuse it and then run it back through, or can you do it on the airplane? Oh, you can certainly do it on the airplane. I mean, you you know, you could use a pair of pliers, for example, too. I mean, you might need somebody else to uphold something for you, um, but it could certainly be done. Okay. Uh, very easy. Very easy to do. It takes very little heat. It, it heats up very, very quickly. It, turns, it starts to glow, and you just activate your drill, and it just pinches it off and seals it right up nice. All right. Yeah, that's a good tip. Mike, John, any other tips out there for making your stock brakes work better? No, in mine, it's pretty much a uh, follow the directions for the best results kind of situation, regardless of if you're going to use the uh, the mechanical uh, brakes. And if you are going to use the mechanical, just like you said, uh, the machined upgrade drums are certainly worth their weight, uh, worth their, their value, I'm sorry. Uh, the hydraulic system is also a, a pretty – Standard setup, you know, the, the Sonex recommended procedure is to use a, uh, a combination, uh, you know, one master cylinder that's actuated with the same brake handle. Uh, it works real well, does a nice job. Uh, occasionally, if you decide to go with a hydraulic setup, you, you may have to add hydraulic uh, fluid to the reservoir every once in a while. Most people probably do that during their condition inspection. Uh, just like you said, it's, it's a nice little feature. If you want to have a, a built-in parking brake, you can set either the cable tensions on the steel cable uh, or just have things set up appropriately on the hydraulic handle to be able to use a, a flap detent for a, a parking brake. That's always real nice to, to have. Uh, works real well. But I never had any issues on mine just with, with setup. And like you said, I think the only real thing to pay attention to is make sure – uh, before you start flying, just spin the wheel, you know, lift the airplane up, put it on a lift, spin it, make sure there's no dragging, no no issues with that. Uh, as you fly, you know, for the first couple landings, you know, things will kind of seat in and it works real well. So both the hydraulic system works well, the machined drums work real well. Uh, just kind of a personal preference from there as to which one you, you want to go with. Wh- which one do you have, John? Or which, I'm sorry, um, which one do you have, Jeff? Well, I have a great plane setup, and I'll get to that in just a minute. Let's, uh, since we're talking about the aero conversions brakes, let's just um, finish out kind of this this thought. So, if you buy the kit from from Sonics, uh, it's a three hundred and fifty dollar kit. Um, if you 
order the hydraulic brakes as an upgrade when you place your airframe kit, uh, you get a little bit of a discount because you don't have to buy all those other parts mm-hmm. that you're just going to discard. And it's a $300 upgrade. Um, there are some options that, that you, you price out and buy separately, namely the master cylinder and the installation kit. Uh, that comes out to about $100 for both those. The master cylinder is something like 75 and the install kit is the plates and the other bits and pieces that you need. Um, so if you're looking at the total cost, uh, 400 to 450, depending on whether you buy it uh, up front or you go back in and you buy all the parts as a retrofit. And I think that just so everybody has the right kind of mental picture on how these brakes work, um, the disc attaches to the inside of the wheel and the calipers push on one side of the disc. It's not a dual puck where it clamps on both sides of the disc like you would see in, in, a, in a different style of disc brake. Um, and so I think that um, because it's not pinching it between two calipers, um, it may be just a little bit more specific on how you set it all up. So, so Mike, uh, Gary, you guys know this better than I do. What do you think about that aspect? Is, is there something particular that you want to do to get that aspect to work well? Uh, the only the only two things I really noticed in mine, I thought it was a fairly simplistic, simple system to do. You know, having originally installed the mechanical brake, I just had the long throw arm there on the left side of the cockpit. Uh, I retained that throw arm and just added my reservoir cylinder there. So I'm still using one lever to feed both of my brakes and do not have differential braking. And for me personally, again, it's never really been an issue in flying or handling of the aircraft. And that's how Sonic says to do it. It's exactly yeah. what you did. Yeah, that's the way I did it, and, and I'm pleased with it. It wasn't worth the extra effort for me to go back and, and retrograde and refit these things. Uh, but, again, it's just personal preference. It seemed to work, and I was happy with it. kind of got used to it anyway. And as far as the braking lever, I basically used one of the first detents in my flap handle. Uh, so that lever is, is it's kind of floppy as it mounts to the, the master reservoir anyway. There's a little bit of give in side to side, so it's easy as you pull it just to push it into one of the detent levers. And that does a great job for me for holding it, and I actually can do a full power run-up with it. Uh, the other issue I had initially with mine, and again, I do not know if this has been addressed or not, is with the backing plates used to attach these. Uh, I found out, it, it, or at least it appears as if, uh, I had the conventional uh, tail dragger configuration, but the backing plates had originally been set up uh, for the nose wheel or, or tricycle gears. And so I had to end up, you know, redoing those and redrilling holes and, you know, mounting some more nut plates and so forth. You know, kind of a minor inconvenience. And it took me a little head scratching because you always think you're doing something wrong, but indeed they just were not manufactured correctly. Uh, the other thing with the fluid, uh, I, I believe they're using a silicone-based type fluid. I have to go back and look at it again myself. I haven't paid too much attention to it since I filled it up. I just keep the jar and just, you know, squirt a couple of cc's in there every once in a while to top off the cylinder. Uh, the brake pucks themselves are, are actually little discs, uh, probably about, I don't know, inch and a half in diameter, probably about another, you know, three quarters inch or something in thickness. And there's two of those little discs that push up against that plate that you were talking about. Um, not a lot, a lot, of, not a lot of trouble in actually setting it up. Again, it's just like you're doing anything when you're remounting a wheel and you want to set your your axle bearing. You, know, you want to just make sure you get just the right kind of uh, mild drag in there, so everything is all lined up and it'll be easier to activate and and, and good, give you good stopping power. But those are really the only issues I found. So I want to go back and touch on something you said. Um, there is no reservoir to feed into the master cylinder. 
you, whatever volume you've got in the cylinder is what you got. And as the puck wears, you have to add a little bit more fluid in there to kind of take up the added volume. Yeah, but, you know, I'm, again, I, I've used so little brake, I really have not noticed any significant wear whatsoever. Uh, I'm almost thinking I've got a little evaporative issue going anywhere else. I don't ever seem to see any leaks anywhere, uh, either at the fitting on the brakes or anywhere in the handle. But, you know, like I said, every once in a while I'll have to add, and it, it, literally it only takes just a couple of cc's uh, to top off that one little reservoir and you're done. So Okay, so is this, uh, is nice. this yeah, this doesn't sound like a big deal, saying it's fairly low impact, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, you just take a little tiny syringe after you, you know, you you filled up your lines, and it's easy to do. Mm-hmm. And of course, okay. the easy way to fill these lines is is from the bottom up, and using a uh, like a grease gun that you can just you know pressurize and just feed the fluid right up from the bottom to the top, and it'll make it easy and slick as a whistle. Yeah, I believe that those mounting plates um, are are unchanged. Um, uh, the last person I talked to just bought them last year, and they had the same issue. So if you know going into it that the mounting plates are set up for a tri-gear and you have a tail dragger, it's pretty easy just to say, okay, yeah, this isn't going to work. i got to rotate it and maybe just adapt it to to my angle. Uh, it's only really a problem when you don't know what's going on and you're thinking, man, there's got to be something really crazy happening. So if anybody out there is having that issue, they just need to kind of mentally acknowledge that these are set up for for a level attitude and that's not going to work on their tail dragger and then it'll all make sense yeah it's not you it's just the way it came out well um, any other tips uh, on setting up your your arrow conversions hydraulics no yeah i thought it was fairly straight straightforward and easy to do yeah, there's Mike. really not much to it. Like Gary said, the, you are going to have to bleed the brakes. So, you know, benefits if you want to compare between the mechanicals and the hydraulics. The hydraulic system, you do lose the squeaking and you lose that potential for the, the handle pulsing. But uh, I guess if you want to call it on the downside, you do have fl- fluid you have to deal with. So, you're, you know, either a power brake bleeder or some type of uh, helper to, to bleed the lines and uh, I do the same thing as Gary. Just about once a year, just go in and make sure the reservoir is topped off, and it seems to work just fine. Okay, so if we kind of summarize the the arrow conversions option, uh, four hundred uh, or say four fifty. If you if you order them right up front, it's a four hundred dollar upgrade to go with that. Um, is that worth the money? What do you think? Uh, for me personally, I like mine. Yeah, I, I would call it worth it. But again, I like I said earlier, I wouldn't. Uh, hesitate to recommend the mechanicals if people would rather that i would say the mechanical uh, brakes are like i said potentially a little bit more simple um probably a little bit lighter and they're both certainly reliable enough to work just fine but uh if you want to try to make it as close to a production aircraft setup as possible uh, i would certainly call it worthwhile but just my opinion what do you think gary oh absolutely i mean there's only three things that i really thought were uh, the best bang for the buck on an upgrade of the Sonics. Uh, the hydraulic brakes being one of them, going to the larger tailwheel, and third and probably even more important is going to a veneer mixture control for the aero carb or aero injector. Yeah, okay. All right, well, um, let's move on into some of those other third-party options. Um, first up is the uh, Tracy O'Brien brakes, and uh, John, you've got these, so why don't you tell us uh, how does this brake setup all work? Uh, the Tracy O'Briens um, are a disc brake that uh, it's a ring disc that has a ring pad on both the wheel side. Well, actually, it's a it's on a puck that mounts to the the axle, and so 
the the actual friction or the steel disc um, spins around inside the middle of this uh, the the uh, this puck, and so when the hydraulic fluid is uh, pumped into it from the master cylinder, it pushes the slave disc into the 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 rotating steel disc and against the other side, which is also a the asbestos or whatever that material is, the the friction material. Um, so, so that all is mounted. Go ahead. So it's it's two pucks that are pinching the disc. It's two rings that are pinching a disc in the center. So okay. they, they completely encircle the disc. Got it. Um, the way that the wheel uh, ties to it is you replace your standard bolts for that that you uh, assemble your wheel with. With new bolts that have about an inch longer, uh, they're about an inch longer, and they, as the wheel goes on to the axle, they uh, interleave to that steel disc that rotates in in the middle. It's hard to describe, but that's basically the way it works. So you get a lot of surface area uh, on the the braking uh, versus the Sonics hydraulics or the uh, the Great Plains. Okay, so how does that translate into braking effectiveness? How about stopping power and all that? The stopping power, it's, it's very smooth. Um, I, I think if you have, it depends on how much throw you have in your master cylinder, um, how much mechanical advantage you can really get on it. Uh, mine do a very good job of stopping me on the runway, but it, they really don't hold me. I mean, they just are barely enough to hold me at full power. Uh, with my Jabiru 3300, so I'm I'm really having to stomp on my brakes to uh, to get it to hold uh, at a full power run up. Um, but other than that, I, I just they're they're quiet. That's the one thing I do like about them. They don't squeal like uh, I've seen with the Great Plains, and I haven't really paid too much attention to the Sonics uh, hydraulics. But I do know the mechanical ones do squeak. The ones that have those. Mm-hmm. These are just, uh, my only comment with these are they're very smooth. The mount to the axle, since I have Tracy O'Brien axles, they mounted right up to their to the the axle flanges. You, if you're using the Sonics uh, axles, you would have to weld on uh, a plate uh, to your axle to get it to mount the, or to bolt the the hydraulic brake onto. Yeah. So just kind of going back and running through the bits and pieces. Uh, Tracy O'Brien lists um, the brake as uh, 290, and that's without a master cylinder. Um, mm-hmm. If you buy their axles, which are just a direct swap, uh, rather than modify Sonic's axles, those are 110 for a pair of new axles. And then if you, again, if you if you buy their gear legs, um, which would replace the the gear legs and axle combos, I guess uh, that's uh, 560 for a pair of of their axles uh the gear legs with axles and then the last piece is um the install hardware and the master cylinder which you're looking at somewhere between 50 and 150 so just if if my math is right and all those bits and pieces um it's a little bit more expensive of an option you know maybe in the five to six hundred dollar range uh and possibly a little bit higher if you opt for the new gear legs uh to go with those yeah, the reason I went with those was I was going to buy the Tracy O'Brien gear legs anyway. And since I like the the simplicity of just mounting these up without fabricating anything. 
And I want, I needed a, a set of brakes anyway, so I went with the whole Tracy O'Brien all the way down. Yeah, and I think that's a great thing. If, if you're buying their gear legs anyway, it's a piece of cake to go ahead and put their brakes on. If you're and, really if in their love gear with- legs are about $100 cheaper than the Sonics titanium gear legs. Yeah. Yeah, so if, if you just really like Tracy O'Brien brakes and you want to convert everything over, well, that's that's getting kind of pricey because you throw away a lot of good parts off off of standard Sonics. Yeah, and you're going to have to do some some serious fabrication to get those uh, those brakes to to mount up to your standard axles. Mm-hmm. But you're going to have to do that with the gray planes also. Yeah. Okay. Well, <clears throat> let's talk about uh, you know tips to make your uh, Tracy O'Brien work well. What did you find out after after using them for a while? Um, with the Tracy O'Briens, they have a retractor spring to pull the the pads away from the the um, the, the the steel disc, and those things are a uh, you actually use shims to adjust it. So as the the pads wear, you have to take shims out to regain the tightness of the um, or to, to to maintain that small clearance. And uh, my last annual, I decided to take those retraction springs out and just let it uh, let the lack of pressure, lack of the relaxing of the pressure, allow the, the the pads to pull back. And I found that that is that's much better. I have uh, just as much stopping power. They release, and I can spin the wheel just as easily. Um, I think it was just a feature that isn't really necessary on the Tracy O'Briens. Okay, well that's a that's a good tip. Uh, most other brakes don't have any kind of retraction method. They just sort of they just they they kind of break the they break the suction on the on the disc, if you will, and then that's it. They just uh, they just sit well, there. The the Great Plains, it uh, I think it it basically relies on a little bit of runout on the disc to open up that the brake when it's not being applied. Yeah, a little bit of runout just kind of pushes it back in into the the caliper holder. Um, I, it's not essential, but it's not going to hurt you. Anything else that uh, you want to pass along? No. Um, the only thing with my setup is with the toe brakes is it's kind of a pain to bleed the brakes because you have to actually climb down into the hell hole to uh, to pump the fluid in down from the pedals. Yeah. Um, what master cylinders negative. did you use on your toe brakes? I used the Hagar go-kart master cylinders. Okay. Which is yeah. what Tracy O'Brien also sells. Yeah. Okay. And those are uh, do not have a reservoir on them either. Correct. No, it's a closed system. Yeah. I think that's a, a real common thing. These these real small lightweight brake systems, uh, they just skip the reservoir in the sake of lightness and simplicity. Yeah. Um, and, and because of this, um, now that I, you, like you were saying, as you do wear the brake a little bit, you do have to uh, to rebleed them and add a little more fluid in. Is that an every year thing or an every other year? It's when they get to feel a little soft and I'm not getting as much braking power. Then I just do a rebleed. Okay. All right. And then, uh, like I mentioned, um, I've got the Great Plains brakes. Um, those are now sold by O'Keefe Arrow. The, the basic kit on those is 330. Uh, they sell an install kit with the fittings and the various hardware. Um, those are $15 for each wheel. So there's another 30 bucks there. And then your master cylinder, however you end up using a master cylinder. Uh, I used a Hagar 
cylinder as well. So I think I paid about $50 for the master cylinder. They make a couple of different T-handled cylinders. They have a dual cylinder T-handle that, that each cylinder can drive one one wheel or a single T-lever. There's a variety of options that you could buy and just install, or you can do like I did and just uh, connect up the standard brake lever to the the Hagar master cylinder driving the Great Plains brakes. You talked about mounting the um, the brakes to the standard axle. There's a, a large rectangular plate with a hole in the middle. That hole slips right over the standard Sonics axle. You may have to enlarge it a little bit to fit tightly. I think it probably needed to be enlarged by, I don't know, a sixteenth or maybe an eighth of an inch. And then it slips over the axle. And you use that standard tab that the stu- uh, the, uh, the cable brakes attach to. The same thing that's already on the axle, you use that to mount into this rectangular caliper holder. And that's pretty much it. Um, being a little bit skeptical, I, I looked at that one tab and I thought, well, if that thing were to break, then the whole brake would rotate on the axle. So I, I modified mine by welding on two more tabs. You know, that the stock tab is, is kind of oriented downwards, say, for, for, for discussion. And uh, 90 degrees to that, going out either side, I put a second and third tab. Uh, are those required? Probably not, but they're easy to add when you're building, and it just spreads the load out uh, on on three tabs rather than one. So I'd encourage you to maybe consider that. It's it's an easy thing, and you'll never have to go back and and add them down the road. And then uh, the rest of the setup is is really simple. Uh, they bleed okay, just like the other ones. There is a little bit of wear, and as the pucks kind of wear down, you're going to have to go back in and rebleed them. For me. That's about every other year I go back and, and rebleed them as part of my, my annual. Um, and they they have great stopping power. They're very effective. I can pull it back and lock it in my detent, in my parking brake detent, and uh, I can do a full power run-up with no problem. I never have any kind of pulsing or, or fade or anything like that. I'm, I'm pretty happy with them. But when you add it all up, um, you know, they're about $450 for, for the upgrade. Uh, maybe a little bit more, depending on the cylinder that you buy. Uh, call it 500. And um, well, listening to your math, it sounds like they're all very similar. I mean, a few dollars one way or the other between any of the systems. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I think probably the the Great Plains. It's more about the um, the modifications to the stock axle, and then really the the stock wheel pants. The because that caliper holder is is large and it doesn't really fit inside the wheel pant, the, your only two options are to expand the size of the wheel pant to go over the, the caliper holder or to cut a big hole out of the inside of the wheel pant to clear the caliper holder. That's a significant amount of work. Uh, you can cut a big hole and just kind of leave it exposed. If you do like I did and make a, a custom wheel pant to go over the whole thing, that's a lot more effort. The Sonics and the the uh, Tracy O'Briens are a, a little cleaner down there for that. Yeah, as far lot, as the wheel pant, right? A, a lot easier on the wheel pant side. Or, or if you're going to do like Gary and you're not going to fly with wheel pants routinely, then uh, that may not be a consideration whatsoever. It's just nice to feel the breeze. That's right. It's <laughs> nice and cool brakes. Yeah, that's true. No fade. So if I uh, if I think back to mine. Um, I probably had a couple of weeks of of getting my parts and scratching my head on how I was going to mount everything and modifying my axles, and then uh, probably at least a week or two additional on uh, 
modifying my wheel pants to fit around those caliper holders. So it's a it's a pretty involved amount of effort to put the Great Plains brakes on. I really enjoy having them. I think they turned out really good. Uh, I, I like them. But probably a, a quite a bit more involved than just putting the aero conversions hydraulics on. Now, the ones I've flown, um, I, I have noticed the Great Plains uh, do tend to squeak a little bit. But that could be just age. Yeah, mine will squeak every now and then, especially um, like after I have the wheel off, if I'm repacking the bearings or whatever, until everything kind of settles back into its new orientation, they'll squeak just a little bit. And usually it goes away after a couple of, you know, a couple of ground runs and all that. The other time I'll notice a little bit of squeaking is if it's been sitting in the hangar, like in the month of January and I'm not flying it. Um, the, the first time you pull it out, it's kind of dragging a little bit on the, on the disc and so you'll get a little bit of a kind of a grinding or a squeak as the as the puck is grinding over the disc. And again, it goes away by the end of the first flight, it's all gone. But when you pull it out of the hangar, it would not be that unusual to get a little squeak. Well, Mike, I don't think I've ever noticed a squeak out of my uh, Sonics brakes, have you? No, I don't think so. No, they um, they never seem to be a problem, and I never really noticed a whole lot of. Uh, uh, have you ever looked at the brake pucks on yours, Gary? I've never really noticed any uh, wear on mine. They seem to hold up pretty well. No, I recently put the Tundra tires on mine. I went for the 5x5 tires, and that's one reason the guys are chiding me is because I'm not doing the wheel pants. I got tired of messing with them anyway. And uh, when I was having to change out the wheels anyway, as I was looking at the, at the pucks, they look as good. You know, I didn't physically measure them, but I can't see any appreciable wear. Yeah, well, that's because you, you landed at 30 miles an hour, Gary. Well, that, that's true. <laughs> Absolutely true. You don't do those carrier landings like I do at, uh, you know, 100 and some, full throttle. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I guess just to, for the sake of completeness, um, th- there are a couple other options out there. Matco does make a brake install kit uh, where you adapt one of their brake packages to a Sonics. They sell an install kit which is $95, which has the various bits and pieces to put it on the Sonics axles. And then the, the wheel and brake assembly, and this is a, this is a new wheel assembly also, uh, that is 250 for each wheel. Uh, so I have no idea how easy or, or difficult it may be to install them. It looks like with their adapter, they bolt right up. And uh, Matco, you know, and that's kind of the... The, the GA standard, uh, Mike, kind of like you were talking about. So I think maybe we'll see uh, we'll see some of these start to filter in. I think Matco is clearly trying to to get into some of these lighter weight home belts. Um, I'd like to get my my hands on one in person and really kind of see what it consists of. Is this fairly new? Because I've never seen one on the Sonics. I I heard a rumor that somebody had put Matco on theirs, and then I went looking for um, for it on Matco's site, and I found a link to. The um, you know the the install kit and all that. There's an engineering drawing that shows a few details. Uh, I'll put the link on the show notes if you want to check it out. Um, but I think that once you get their wheel and brake assembly and you get your adapter, after that you're kind of on your own for everything else. They don't talk about any other aspect of it, just the brake assembly and this adapter piece. And one thing we probably should talk about if you go with one of these aftermarket uh, vendors like Tracy O'Brien or or uh, Great Plains is a uh, vendor support. Um, you know, you're putting all your eggs in one basket with that vendor. I know Great Plains has sold their rights to that break to O'Keefe. And, uh, you know, if they go out of business, where are you going to get pucks when you need them or, you know, a rebuild kit for the master cylinder or something? 
Yeah, that's a good point. And I've actually had that exact thought and, and wondered if maybe I had to buy a couple of rebuilds of, of pucks and all that and just kind of stash them away for when I need them. I did that exact same thing with Tracy O'Brien. I bought an extra set of pads um, and uh, not the rebuild kit, but uh, maybe maybe that makes sense to buy their – and the rebuild kit is just basically O-rings and, and some things to tear apart that uh, slave cylinder. But, you know, that, that it's just a guy that's making these things out of his machine shop at his house, I think. Okay. Well, moving on to uh, method of activation. We already covered most of this, uh, converting the stock brake handle, uh, John, your toe brakes. Um, I think your toe brakes are really interesting because uh, it's a real simple modification. So describe how you do toe brakes as opposed to, like, buying a Vans pedal kit and welding it on. Yours are real simple. Yeah, what I did was I, I uh, took, um, since the Sonics uh, brake or uh, rudder pedals are basically a tube with uh, with two vertical square tubes welded to them, and the tube at the bottom is hollow, I uh, took and bought some uh, steel, uh, aircraft spruce steel, that will slide inside that tube. And then I just took some uh, square... Uh, or flat uh, metal stock, cut it to the length I wanted the, the rudder pedal to be, welded two of those tubes on it. One slides inside the, the bottom of the rudder pedal, and in the top just sticks out, you know, maybe four inches inside the pedal so that when you put your foot inside, it'll hit that. And then a tang at the bottom to mount one end of the uh, master cylinder and then uh, out of some angle aluminum, uh, cut or uh, mount for the upper part of that, uh, the master cylinder. So when you push on the pedal, it rotates on that tube inside the bottom of your rudder tube, rudder pedal tube, and pushes, squeezes the, uh, the master cylinder together. And so you just do that on two of them. I've actually done it on three pedals so that I can ride um, in the center of my, I can either ride left seat or if I ride center seat, I just put my feet on the outer pedals and on the one that's, you know, the furthest one over on the normal passenger side, that's teed into the one, the right pedal on the, uh, the left side so that I can, I can have my differential brakes on either side. So uh, it's kind of hard to visualize if you're not looking at a picture, but the key point of, the, of your design is that you use the bottom tube of the rudder pedal, the part that your foot normally pushes on. That essentially is the bearing that your your brake pedal rides inside of. Yes. And so it's just a, a almost like a little L bracket that slips in there, and you attach your 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 um, master cylinder to, and you're pretty much done. Yes, and it's held all together just by that master cylinder being bolted to it and the rudder pedal at the top. If you have any pictures, uh, send them to me, and I'll, I'll put them on the show notes if anybody wants to okay. see. Yeah. Okay. The other option uh, I know that a, a bunch of people have done is they'll buy the Vans pedal kit that goes in the RV series, and uh, and really all you got to do is weld a couple of tabs on the rudder pedals to act as a pivot point for the base of the pedal, and then uh, another tab up at the top that you're going to attach your master cylinder to, and that's a pretty simple thing. And then, you know, the pedal just kind of sits in the middle of the rudder, the the you know, the, the U-shaped rudder pedal area, the pedal sits in the middle there so you can touch it with your toes and, and activate the master cylinder. If you're not afraid of welding on the tabs and all that, 
it's a pretty easy modification also. But I just think, I guess I just want to kind of bring this back to, um, if you, if you want toe brakes, well then you, maybe you just want toe brakes. That's, that's fine. Um, but with the standard direct link tail wheel, um, there may not be a tremendous amount of benefit to going through a lot of effort to do that. Um, so I'm not, I'm not criticizing anybody's decision, but, um, I think that the takeaway is before you jump into to any particular thing, just spend some time thinking about what are you trying to accomplish? Why are your your reasons leaning one way or another? And then just kind of think that through. Make sure that you're not doing it for the wrong reasons. Well, one thing, Jeff, even if you don't use it as a differential braking, um, is just the familiarity. If you're especially if you're flying multiple different aircraft, uh, I can jump into a Cessna and it's it's just muscle memory. I know where the brakes are and uh, versus my Sonics. I don't have to think about having that, the, the brake handle, which is really foreign to me since I've never flown a plane with has a, uh, a brake handle. Yeah. And I hear that a lot, Mike, I'm sure that's kind of what you're thinking as well. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah. I mean, I can give you, you know, when I installed the hydraulic system on mine, I kind of mimicked the vans setup as well, just using some uh, extruded aluminum angle that I had laying around and kind of made up my own system that just mirrored it. But uh, looking back now and, uh, you know, with the tailwheel that I have, which is a stock Sonic setup, I would probably just do, uh, if I were to do it over, I'd just kind of follow Gary's lead and just do the, uh, you know, the, the one master cylinder with the handle. And it, it seems to work fine. I mean, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, it takes a little bit to get used to. But you know, the good news is these airplanes really just land so darn slow anyway. It, it's You've got plenty of time to keep yourself out of trouble, but it is different. It's it's something that is different, and there's something to be said about, uh, like John says, with with uh, uh, formality. All the airplanes that you fly, if you're flying different types, if you all want them to be the same basic setup, uh, it might just be a personal comfort level on behalf of the builder. So it's you know kind of a personal preference thing. And I do have the breakaway tailwheel, and I, my, the runway that I run off of is really narrow, and uh, so to back taxi, it's really quite handy to, once I stop, just break away that tailwheel, I can pirouette and, you know, ta- back taxi without having to go into the weeds. You can just get out and pick the tailwheel up and swing it around like the rest of us. Yeah, and then and I'm, I mock Gary when he comes down to visit and does that. <laughs> I hate it when that happens. I've had to do it myself. Yeah, I'm guilty of at least once. Well, I, I like to to mock my uh, my Sonics buddies, and we get to a run up area, and we're all going off on a flight. I'll, I'll just drive right up to them and then pirouette in front of them. Just to say, <laughs> ah, I can do this. And uh, you know, John, let's be honest. That would be enough reason for you to do it. Just just that alone. You know that I'd probably get more pleasure out of that than any other benefit from those tires, <laughs> from the brakes. Well, uh, let's just, uh, let's, let's close this out. Um, so let's just go around the horn here with some final thoughts. Uh, Mike, I'll, I'll, I'll kick it over to you. Uh, final thoughts, final bits of advice. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. I haven't, uh, my, my experience is zero with the Tracy O'Brien's, the Great Plains, uh, and the other, if you will, kind of aftermarket ones. You really don't hear anything bad about them. And I think everybody here tonight did a really nice description on everything. Uh, I've been real happy with my hydraulic setup, and like Gary said, I would uh, certainly wholeheartedly recommend if you do want to stick with kind of the Sonics options, the hydraulic upgrade is is well worth its money, but at the same time, the mechanical setup certainly does the job just fine, and it works real well. So 
uh, you know, if I were to do it all over, I would probably just stick with the uh, aero conversions hydraulic setup, and it uh, it works real well. So been real happy with mine. Haven't really had any problems, knock on wood, and uh, it, it does the job just fine. Really like them. All right, good. Gary, um, final thoughts? Uh, just like I said before, hydraulic brakes, bigger tailwheel, and veneer mixture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, John, would you do well, it again? If I, had a, if I did it again, um, now that Sonics has their uh, hydraulic brake option, I would definitely go with theirs uh, just because it have factory support. Um, I'm not having to reinvent anything. When I did mine, there, it wasn't available. I either had Great Plains or Tracy O'Brien's to choose. Yeah, right. I, I have the same thought. Uh, although I like where I ended up, if I was to do it over again, I would just go straight for the Aero Conversions Hydraulics. You're going to install them. They're going to be a piece of cake to do. They're going to work real well, and you're not going to have any challenges. They're inexpensive, good bang for the buck, all that stuff. That's what I would recommend. I think no matter what you do, um, you just need to be honest about, you know, what is your mission? What are your requirements? Um, think about your budget and kind of how that fits in and make sure you make the decision for the right reasons. Don't buy it because, uh, you know, somebody is, is egging you on and telling you, oh, you know, you, you can't have cable brakes and you can't have a, a hand lever because real airplanes don't do that. Uh, don't, don't fall into that. Look at your own requirements, look at your mission and let that drive how you make the decision. If you do that, you're probably going to end up with a solid decision no matter what you end up doing. Um, so that's my, my final advice, I guess, for builders that are trying to sort this all out. All right, guys. Well, uh, good job on uh, on that. Uh, I appreciate everybody's uh, descriptions and, and your thoughts on that. Oh, I just want to make a, uh, a quick shout-out here to the uh, the Centex Sonics Association. They're, they're going to do their Big Bend fly-out over at the, uh, the Big Bend Ranch State Park that is um, in uh, southern Texas, uh, Presidio, Texas, in the southwest corner of the state. So I was just uh, looking at that on the map, trying to figure out whether that was close enough to try to get over to. And when I uh, punched it into Google and looked at it, I was like, "Wow, that's that's kind of a long ways away. That's uh, you know, that's a six or seven hundred mile flight for me, but it's uh, eleven hundred miles from Oshkosh, eleven hundred miles from Sacramento and, or Atlanta. Um, so if you're coming from any one of those areas, that's a that's a pretty good little cross country. But if you're coming from Mexico, it's only about ten miles. So any of our Mexican listeners out there, uh, they ought to come on over into the Big Bend Ranch State Park. <laughs> yeah, it's about four and a half hours for us, and uh, due south. I mean, I don't think you can get any further due south. Yeah, that's going to be uh, March 31st through April 2nd. And if anybody has any questions, they can catch uh, Mike Singleton. Um, I'll put his uh, his contact info in the show notes, or you can get on Facebook and you can just look for the Centex Sonics group, and he's got his uh, information and all that for the flyout. So it ought to be a good time. It's a it's a pretty remote area. You got to bring everything, but uh, really kind of picturesque in a in a rugged sort of way. All right, anybody else got shout outs? We miss anybody? No, I'm good. No, thank you for doing this. It's great. Appreciate everybody uh, coming on tonight. And um, we're going to be rolling into uh, episode 15. Um, haven't quite nailed down who the guest and, and the topic is going to be. Got a couple lined up. It's either going to be uh, Autopilots with uh, David Weber from Dynon, uh, or we're going to do the uh, Sonics Acro. And uh, we'll see kind of which one gets lined up first. And, and so we'll just kind of leave it as a mystery as to what uh, episode 15 is going to be. For this episode... 
you can find us on the web at sonicsflight.com. Uh, again, you can find us on iTunes and Google Play or or your favorite podcast app. You can subscribe to the show through that. You can go to the website and uh, and catch the show notes or listen to the episode directly on the website. If you want to go directly there, it's sonicsflight.com slash one four. So, uh, again, uh, look forward to doing this uh, again next time. And uh, thanks again, guys, and everybody be safe. It's been fun. Thanks a lot. The views and opinions expressed on the Sonic Flight podcast are those of the hosts and guests alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of any individual, company, or organization mentioned on this program. Nothing presented on this podcast should be construed to be the official position or recommendation of anyone not directly associated with Sonic's Flight. Anything that sounds like advice should be carefully considered before being implemented. Remember, you are the pilot in command. John, are you still there? Yep, I'm still here. <laughs> I, I figured he was eating a cookie. Yeah, I was just waiting for some sort of sign-off. <laughs> Sorry, I got distracted. No, no, that's all right. That's all right. <laughs> the cookies just came out, too, by the way. <sighs> yeah, see, I knew. You and your cookies. Man, you are making me jealous. What? you got to cook cookies. <laughs> I'm going to take up bacon because uh, I feel somehow left out of this whole thing. <laughs> Uh, all right, guys. Almost my bedtime. Yep. You know that's that's what you get. You you started on the beer early, and now it's uh you know now it's time to go to bed. Yep. Pretty much. You, you got two options. You can go to bed, or you can keep drinking. <laughs> mm, maybe I'll do a little both. <laughs> <laughs> all, all right, right, guys. Talk to y'all later. Yep. Yeah, I'm gonna get off too. Talk to you later. All right. See you guys.